Well, howdy! This podcast is a proud member of the PodCon Go Network. PodCon Go. Family-friendly shows that are fun for everyone. Welcome to Elderberry Tales. Grab your magnifying glass. It's time for a mystery. Today's story is part two of The Missing Salmon by William Stair. All right, listeners, if you haven't heard part one of The Missing Salmon, you should stop listening to this episode and go back and listen to part one first. Are you ready for part two? All right, do you remember what happened in part one? Armando and Edison were following Desmond up the creek, and Desmond came running out and said he saw Bigfoot. At the very end of part one, the kids were upstairs in their room waiting for their dad to come in and talk to them. And now let's begin. Dad was very patient, listening to Desmond's story about the creek, the salmon, and Bigfoot. He also listened to my explanation of why Edison and I went after Desmond. He even gave me points for sending Robert to tell Mom where we'd gone. Even so, a long lecture about responsibility and never running off like that again followed. Then he clumped back down the stairs to talk it over with Mom. We were beginning to think no supper tonight when I heard Mom's lighter step coming upstairs. After another lecture, which included her telling us that not only had we endangered ourselves, but also the rest of the Coho kids because she was pulled away from them to find us, having to leave them in the care of one of the hatchery staff, Mr. Sequardle. Fortunately, we already knew him from the time Trooper uncovered the Indian skeleton in our backyard. We still had the Duwamish hat he gave Mom in thanks for helping preserve ancestral remains. Ancestral remains means the bones are objects belonging to a relative that has been dead for a really long time. Sometimes Desmond and I will fight over who gets to wear the hat. Finally, Mom finished and got up. She told us to get downstairs because Dad had made dinner and it was getting cold. Desmond and I walked down the long steps slowly so Mom would understand we were sorry. But on the inside, we were eager because we smelled Dad's homemade pepperoni pizza. The next day was Saturday, and Dad was off early to play Frisbee with his friends. After breakfast, Mom bundled us into the car without telling us where we were going. That's not a problem, because in the car, we get to use our iPads to play games. You don't need to ask us twice. The next time I lifted my head from the iPad, we were pulling into the parking lot of the Issaquah Salmon Hatchery. Why were we here again? Only one day after our naughty adventure. Boys, we're here to see Mr. Sequardle. I want you to explain to him everything that happened and everything you saw yesterday along the creek. I called him last night, and he's very interested. 
we got out of the car and walked across the lot. Of course, we had to cross the creek on the bridge in order to get to the hatchery buildings. And as we did, both Desmond and I huddled a little closer to Mom. Mr. Sequartle was waiting for us in the hatchery office. He shook hands with Mom, who was all business. It was clear that her superpower, solving mysteries, was in full force. Her brain was hungry for clues. Sherlock Holmes used to play the violin to clear his mind. Mom simply stretched her fingers. Mr. Sequartle, who's an elder of the Duwamish Indian tribe, motioned to some chairs, and we all sat down. His long, gray and black hair was in a ponytail, just like Grandpa Bill's. But Mr. Sequartle always looks like he would be comfortable with a bow and arrow, while Grandpa just likes a typewriter. Well, boys, your mother tells me you had a bit of an adventure along the Issaquah Creek, just downstream of here. Would you tell me about it, please? At first, neither of us spoke. Mr. Sequartle waited patiently, and finally, Desmond began telling the story. I would add bits based on what Edison and I saw. When we finished, Mr. Sequartle sat silent, nodding slowly. He turned to Mom. Mrs. C., what do you think about this description? I'd like to go back to the spot where the boys found the fish remains, but it sounds like a case of poaching, where Desmond came along and surprised the poacher, who then reappeared when he thought Desmond was gone, and then he ran off again when Armando and Edison approached. Desmond mistook the poacher for Bigfoot for some reason, unknown to me. For those of you like me who had never heard of poaching, it means to take live animals, in this case, fish, illegally. A slight smile crossed Mr. Sequartle's lips. I think you're correct, Mrs. C. And like you, I'd like the boys to show me the spot. Desmond and I looked at each other. Neither of us was eager to go back into the land of the Bigfoot. Of course, said Mom. We exited the office and headed back toward Issaquah Creek. One moment, young friends, said Mr. Sequartle, stopping. Before we retrace the trail from yesterday, I'd like you to see something. He led us over to a building behind the fish ladder and large tank in which the returning coho were held. I think you've learned from your parents and in school that the salmon of the Northwest are in danger of dying out. They are a precious part of our world, and it would be terrible if they were to disappear forever. Over the last hundred years, human people have built dams, polluted streams, and overfished the salmon to the point where they may not be able to survive. Until we can correct some of the damage we've done, hatcheries like this one help to keep the salmon people alive. It was strange to hear the fish called people, but it seemed right. When my great-grandfather was alive, the streams and creeks around here were rich with the returning salmon people. The Duwamish caught the salmon, lived by the blessing of the salmon, and revered the spirit of the salmon in return. Those days are mostly gone now. Do you see this building? He pointed to the building ahead of us. Through its open side, we could see people working with the captured salmon. Here we take some of the salmon people who have returned to this creek. We take their eggs and milt and mix them together. 
every egg is precious to us because every egg has the chance to bring back the mighty salmon people. Every poacher who kills a mother salmon before she can lay her eggs and before the father salmon can fertilize them makes the future darker for the salmon people. Nothing goes to waste here. The meat of the salmon is stored and given to people who need it. He let us watch the collection of the eggs and milt for a while. There was a large container that the salmon were put in after the collection. Now, let's see if we can find the poachers. Mr. Sequartle led the way, with Desmond and me in the middle and Mom in the back. She had an intense look on her face, and even though our friend was leading, I could read her mind. The game's afoot, Armando. It only took us a few minutes to come to the rock. I thought it was much further. Have you ever noticed how when you don't know where you're going, it takes a long time? But once you know the way, it's a lot faster? Life is weird. Anyway, there were even more pieces of fish on the rock now. Mr. Sequartle bent down and used a twig he found to poke at the pieces. Someone has been at this for a while. See how some fish parts are almost dried up? Well, this one must have been put here today. In fact, only a short time ago. He stood up and looked around. Mom was concentrating on a spot where the bushes were densest, directly across the stream. Then she looked at Mr. Sequartle, who nodded with a slight smile. I've seen enough for today, boys, he said loudly. It's time to head back to the hatchery. But Mr. Sequartle, began Desmond. Yes, I have other responsibilities to take care of this afternoon. Would you lead the way, Mrs. C? We trudged back along the creek, and I figured our adventure was over. But when we got back to the bridge, instead of saying goodbye and heading for the parking lot, Mom asked us to wait while she and Mr. Sequartle crossed the bridge and talked. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but Desmond has super hearing, and he said they were talking about surprising the poacher. Mr. Sequartle didn't want us to go along, according to Desmond, but Mom was insisting that she needed our help. After a few moments, Mom motioned for us to come over by them. I believe I saw the poacher hiding in the bushes across the creek, she began, and Mr. Sequartle noticed some wet marks on the bank by the stone. We're going back on this side of the creek to see if we can find the fellow. Want to come along? We both shouted yes, and Desmond even did a little dance for joy right there on the bridge. When he stopped dancing, we started downstream once again, but this time on the other side of the creek, the Bigfoot side. Mom put her finger to her lips. We were to be very quiet. We were soon at the spot opposite the flat stone with all the fish bits on it, and close to the bushes where Mom thought she saw the poacher. Mr. Sequartle looked around the area carefully and soon pointed out some big footprints near the muddy bank. They weren't bare footprints, to Desmond and my disappointment, but very large boot prints. He looked at Mom, who nodded agreement, and we began walking into the woods, single file. Whatever trail Mr. Sequartle was following wound around and around, but took us deeper and deeper into the forest. 
Then we began climbing a long ridge. When we came to the top and walked a little further, we could see down the other side. There were tents there. They were colored a mixture of brown and green, so they were hard to make out at first. I counted six of them, all arranged around an open space. And in the center of that open space stood Bigfoot. I heard Desmond gasp as he hid behind Mom. But then I looked closer. That wasn't Bigfoot. It was just a very big man with a torn, shaggy coverall on. A coverall is work clothes that cover your entire body, except your head and hands, and it's all one piece, not separate shirt and pants. He had wild hair and a big wild beard that covered most of his face. Oh, and a big red nose right in the middle. I could see why Desmond, peering through leaves and branches as the man moved around, would think he looked more like a monster than a person. The man was standing by a smoldering fire that had a grill on top of it. On the grill was what looked like several big pieces of salmon, and the smell of the cooking fish made me hungry. The man was looking up at us, and he held a big wooden stick in huge hands. I could see several heads peering out of some of the tents. Some were kids, like Desmond and me. There was no sound, except for the crackle of the fire and a breeze blowing through the trees. Mr. Sequartle spoke to Mom for a few moments, then turned and started down the hill toward the circle of tents. Mom said quietly, Well, boys, I think the mystery has been solved. There was no Bigfoot here, only a homeless man and a group of other homeless people. They've been taking the fish to eat, along with whatever other food they have. Mr. Sequartle would like us to go back to the hatchery now and wait in his office. All right? Of course it was not all right. We wanted to see what would happen next. But Mom gave us the look, and we knew we had to go. We waited about half an hour for Mr. Sequartle to return to the office. That was okay, though, because he had all kinds of neat stuff in there. Indian things, some stuffed fish, and lots of cool magazines. When he got back, he sat on the edge of his desk and told us a story. It's a sad situation. The people are mostly one big family that had a farm in southern Idaho. They lost the farm a couple years ago and have been on the move ever since. They were able to get occasional jobs, a day here, a day there, but never enough money to get a permanent place to live. About a month ago, just before the coho began running, they found that spot in the woods and set up their camp. When Joseph, the big man in the tattered clothing, saw the salmon, he decided the meat would be a good way to have better food than they had otherwise. So, he and a couple other men began catching the big slow fish. I've explained to Joseph how important those spawning fish are to our program here at the hatchery, and offered to provide them with meat from the salmon after we take the eggs and milt. He agreed, and I think we can find other ways to help his family. Homelessness is a very big problem here in the Northwest. Who knows how many others are out there in the forest around Seattle? alone and desperate. We went home that night. 
I have a home, warm, dry, and safe. My daddy has a job, and we have food and clean clothes and a bathtub, and so many things that other people, even people with kids like me, don't have. I never really thought about that before. But our adventure with the salmon and Bigfoot will stick with me for a long time. Armando and Desmond learned something true in this story. Some people have more stuff than other people. Things just aren't always equal between people. In your life, you'll meet people who live in bigger homes than you do. And you'll meet people who live in smaller homes. You'll meet people who have more toys than you. And you'll meet people that have fewer toys than you. We don't all have the same amount. And that's not always a big deal, as long as everybody has what they really need. But sometimes people don't have even what they need to live. A warm, safe place to be. Enough food to eat. People to love them and take care of them. And when that happens, we need helpers. Many of us can be helpers. We can be helpers by sharing what we have. We can be helpers by working to change laws and rules to make them more fair for everybody. And we can be helpers just by caring and by being kind to people. When Mr. Sequardle realized what was happening, he became a helper. He became a helper by offering to give the people who lived in the tents the salmon that the hatchery didn't need anymore. There might be ways that you can be a helper, too. Right in the place where you live. Talk to your grown-up to see if there's anything your family can do. Maybe by sharing some of what you already have. Maybe by showing kindness and care for other people. Thanks for listening to Elderberry Tales. If you liked this story about the missing salmon, you might want to go back and check out some of our other episodes in the My Mom Detective series. You can find those episodes at elderberrytales.com or wherever you listen to this podcast. Thank you to William Stair, my father, for 